So at this point, uh, what you'll probably hear when you're listening to this is the sound of a string quartet playing, um, which is the Zygnum Quartet playing a piece of mine called uh, Eine Kleine Dubstep, which I wrote as part of their Courtweet project. The reason I bring this up is because the viola player in the group is a familial um, known as Zandi van Dijk, a brother. Um, What's I'm his real name? Uh, Peter Alexander, I think. <laughs> yeah. But I may have given away too much now. Um, the reason I bring it up, there's a family saying that we have, which was given to us by... Um, there was a guy who was overheard to uh, proclaim when he saw what was on the program and who was performing it as yet another fucking Fondaic festival. Uh, so uh, in that spirit, I think it's only fair that my next guest uh, to introduce him uh, you know him from works such as The Musicians of Bremen, Selfish Giant, his uh, work with the King Singers for their piece Horizons, uh, two-thirds of the Mandela Trilogy, uh, Windy City Song Cycle, Sun Gloria, and uh, I also know him particularly well as my dad, and I'd like to introduce to the show, firstly I am Matthias van Dijk, and this is of course, uh, you know by now because you can read, uh, the South African Composer Archive, and uh, I'd like to introduce to it my father, Peter Louis van Dijk. Thank you for sitting down with me in your lounge uh, at your guest house in the garden center. Um, you can speak at any point if you <laughs> want. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> right. <laughs> so as I mentioned to him earlier, this is a very lofty and official sounding thing, which is basically just an excuse to sit down and, and record each other and, and talk. So I, we will now run the gauntlet of the usual questions, some which I know, some which I don't think we've ever spoken about. But um, I will start with who or what inspired you to start a career in music? Oh. <laughs> uh, oh, Mozart, because he made so much money out of it. No, 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 no. <laughs> who, I'll tell you who, who inspired me indirectly was... A young man in my class at school who started composing for some odd reason when I was in about grade five and uh, I hated the thought of him composing and me not composing. <laughs> was, he, was he in your year or above you? He was in my, in my physical class. Right. I have chosen to forget his name. <laughs> <laughs> Because his name is Karl Heinz Stockhausen. <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> yeah. And um, so I, I hated that idea, and I hated the idea of concurrence, was that in English? Uh, competition. Competition. Yes. I can only, only say three words in German, <laughs> concurrence is one of them. Uh, <laughs> and um, I went home. i tell you what, my first... Uh, books that inspired me were the Opel and Wheeler, those yellow books for children on the, the great composers. Okay. Uh, and they used to, uh, the most of one of the Beethoven one, Bach. Right. Haydn, I'm trying to think of the primary ones, Tchaikovsky, a couple others. And I love the idea that at the back of the book, in by hand was written, 
pieces that they wrote when they were really young kids and stuff okay. like that. So I thought, I can do this too. So one of the first pieces I wrote was a piece called Chords, very deep. Ironically, just single notes, but... No, and then, yeah. and then <laughs> I played the accordion. Oh, of course, yes. And, uh, you know, of accordion. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I wrote the C major scale, harmonized, all the way up and all the way down again. It was incredible. <laughs> the crowds roared. The royalties ran in. <laughs> Yeah. So after you had been uh, writing for a period of time, um, and I know this question, but because of the gauntlet, did you study composition formally? Did you carry on uh, with your craft? I mean, uh, I know you did, but... <laughs> I did and I didn't. Uh, I found that, as in so many things in my life, I'm an autodidact. Uh, that means teaching yourself. Right. <laughs> For those of you who don't speak English, uh, and, or German, uh, apparently, or German. No, yes. I've only got three words in German. Yes, uh, and I'm, I'm, so I'm trying to really think about the, the the answer to that question because, yes, I was inspired by various people, you know, but uh, being taught is is a difficult thing. But I mean, you you studied it at UCT. Didn't yeah, you? yeah. But I'm starting at school level. Right, right, right. right. I started music really late, what was then standard age, which is now grade 10. I did my first music as a subject. At any rate, so at school I, I studied with Marius Weyers and Letty Schlemmer, whose uh, son was mostly famous for political things in the East Time, Lawrence Schlemmer, professor nice. of politics, I think. And uh, But that didn't teach me much uh, about about composition and such they simply introduced me to to works that I, that I'd like right the the first person who is still very much around and a friend of mine today is Carl van Weyck right Professor van Weyck is now in I think Dallas Texas and um, he was doing his doctorate in composition as I would like to do myself at UCT and I remember the first day he got his doctorate, I ran into his room and I said, Doctor, Doctor, I've got a pen in my scales. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, never want to make corny jokes. Yes, no, of course. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. yeah. So that's my first inspiration. In as much as I didn't get taught by them, but they allowed me to, to, to do things. Hmm. It's like the same thing with, with poetry, my other great love. Mr. Higgs okay. at, uh, at school at the same school which happened to be nameless because it's settlers in Belleville again gave, afforded me the opportunity to, to try my hand at things without, without being uh, officially no, but also without being uh, critical in the sense of what I wrote or how I wrote it right and if I use the word, they uh, they felt well. If it was if it was necessary for me, for me to express myself in that way, then it was fine. Right. So there's more that. But so I mean, we're around this time. This is sort of, uh, I guess, for want of a better word, art composition. You were also, I remember you telling me about playing in bands such as mm. Leadfoot was one of the groups that you were in. Um, Tame T A Y M E. 
I don't think I've ever heard of them. No, because they were very tame. <laughs> <laughs> the lead foot had a bit more clout. Sort of playing uh, guitar while doing a recorder solo and then... Uh, in that sense, yes. Uh, Battle of the Bands, uh, which we won a, a kind of a local version of with my our band called uh, Leadfoot. <laughs> and uh, LEDD, not LED of course, because it's the light. Right. It was Lightfoot. <laughs> and so I got now, again, I, th- I listened to you talking earlier today about getting opportunities or having a brother who played in Santonga or whatever. Yes. So by being surrounded by those type of people or musical people or whether it was rock and roll or not, didn't matter to me so much. Yeah. Uh, I stopped playing mostly because it was do- what it was doing to my ears. Okay. You know, it was hurting him. <laughs> you shouldn't yeah. play guitar with your ears. Then. Exactly. Um, no. I've since then grown calluses on them. <laughs> Maria Callas is my favorite. <laughs> so around this time, um, what was your first commission, be it paid or not paid, but someone kind my of asked me going, yes. hey, I want you to write something. I can't remember the whole title, the something, leave this fresco. It was uh, written for a group of about seven people and uh, a voice and piano, which was performed, I think, the first time at the BT Theatre, the Beatty Theatre on campus at UCT. And it started on the top B. It was an Afrikaans girlfriend that I had at the time, just before I met your mother, and he says, cleverly excited having that. <laughs> and, um, you heard a lot of top Bs then, did you? <laughs> no, yes. Anyway. Um, yeah. I tried to top my Bs. <laughs> anyway, so, so that was my first paid for commission. I was in my first year at varsity. And then thereafter was nothing. <laughs> Which brings us to about 20 minutes ago. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of the things that I'd, I'd like to do with the whole show is obviously that you have examples of, of works. And yes. I try and capture, oh, I'd like sort of bits of different periods, but sort of like that one gets a, a very yes. broad idea. And we were talking a little bit earlier of sort of like an example of an earlier piece. Yes, I've got early pieces. So if Mostly you written between ten and twelve in the morning. <laughs> if you were to include one of those, what what would you think of? Stardrift. Stardrift. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about the piece? Um I started writing it in my matric year uh, for the first of four songs. And I don't know why I've always I've always loved the voice and the idea of a song cycle even though I haven't written that many song cycles but um, which is surprising I think considering how much vocal music you write of of choral stuff in particular or uh, operatic you must write more man uh, is all I'm saying yes I mean I can think of uh, Stardust Star Stardrift 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 um, Death to Life yes there's uh I know I had it. it it's the the American songs. The other yeah. one, then there's the one with the recorders. The I had a gentle cock. Um, uh, yes, I have a gentle cock. I have a gentle cock. Uh, what was what is the name of it? Called that? the three Middle English love songs. 
Um, so yes, yeah, so you're saying the you were telling me a bit about Stardrift. So you wrote you started it when you were in matric. Uh, I started it when I was in my last year of school. And Carl Fahek was already there. And uh, I think the person who initially inspired me to think differently, and again, it's about thinking differently at that age, because I was, with hindsight, probably quite unteachable, because I, I knew everything was better, and I did everything my way, you know, like Frank Sinatra. And uh, except that there's only curtains falling on me. <laughs> the. I. During my final year at school, my first year at college, um, I started and then completed the song cycle, which I then ended up writing for Anthea Haupt, whom I had met at a party for her going away and her 21st birthday, 12th, 12th of January 1973. And why do I remember that? Because that's the night that I met your mom. Okay. And I got speaking to her. I couldn't remember her surname, which was Waldman, and so she said Bosman, just in case I, didn't, you know, I was rocky fine enough not to get it. Then Anthea sang, sang the song cycle at the Beatty Theatre, uh, and that is the recording that right. I've got with me at the piano. Okay. Right. And Anthea at the soprano. Yeah. <laughs> this is the piece that I, if I remember, there's a a, a caricature. Yes. There's a drawing of. Someone tied to a rack. Yes, that's right. Warren, um, I forget his name now. Warren, anyway, was a friend of mine, and we shared a house. And he drew a cartoon. He was a brilliant cartoonist. He then eventually moved to Calgary in uh, Canada. And uh, it's a rather bland-looking major domo who is busy turning a rack on which the soprano is being tortured. Right. <laughs> And that was his impression of my song. I, I remember, I think, in the picture, it also has you with hammers in each hand. Uh, yeah. Slamming into the keyboard of the piano. That's, the, that's the, right. Sorry, I might be getting confused with the Hoffnung drawing, no, no, but it, it is. is correct. Yes. It's a hammer. <laughs>
So this was before. So you started it. You said before you went to to varsity. Yeah, I started in in matric. Matric is seventy one. So then you studied at UCT. Yes. The composition there. And I I started with Gideon Fagan, and the essential problem was uh, I was the first year allowed, and uh, technically uh, composition wasn't available to students until the third or fourth year which is the same problem we had at uh, NMU and I hate that system for those people that really want to compose that one only starts at the end of one's degree yeah pretty much That's a pretty year silly. or two years I know I think if I'm not mistaken I don't know if this has now been officially implemented but I know at UCT they tried for a while to encourage that everyone should take composition yeah. and it's not necessarily that you want to become a composer but it's as a performer just to get an idea of, of how, 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 how think, yeah, yeah, and how how something is put together. And of course, your composition department going as well. Uh, that does help. Yeah, yeah. No, of course. So Gideon Fagan was my first, but he spoke only about his house in Betty's Bay he was building for his retirement, <laughs> and it was a little bit boring to say the least. Right. So I left that class, and then I went to um, Stefan Scrofier. I was his only student, one and only Cape Town opposition student, because it was his last year at UCT as well. Right. And he uh, he had a run-in with uh, Pulvermacher, the then the then head of the university of the music school, and he was very formal, very ooh to me, and I thought it was a bit, a bit strange, but anyway. Right. But I suppose we were supposed to be adult students, and. Uh, he told me, I say, all my teachers told me one thing, specifically that I remember at any rate. I mean, Peter Klatzer must have taught me millions of things, but I only remember one. <laughs> Gideon Fagan said, good intentions can kill, which I'll never forget, because so often you write a section or a piece that doesn't fit at all. No. But it could be work, workable for something else. Um, then came Stefan Sofia which are called the art of small changes, changing one note on a repeat mm. to make it more interesting, uh, create in t- increased attention or whatever the case may be. Um, and then Peter Klatzer certainly did uh, encourage me to work on more interesting rhythms. Right. My rhythms were with four square. Right. And as much as four square is four square. But uh, you know what I mean? And right. uh, I, I did appreciate that. So how, with, with all these things that you've learned along the way, um, what is your process? How do you work? Yes. <laughs> I can uh, see the cogs turning. <laughs> yeah, yes. Creak, creak. <laughs> Sorry, there was an old cog. <laughs> I have a gentle cog. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I'm just trying to think of that story of who wrote uh, White Christmas. I could probably Google this, but I, there was a one point when I was talking to Galena, we had a similar thing of there should be a name, which is it's like literally the effort that I put into the show is putting the, the phone on top of a pile of books. That's as far as I'm going. Yeah. Not going to Google. No, I, I'm no, not sure. But it, it, wasn't, it wasn't composed. It was actually the guy who wrote the lyrics. Right. Anyway, he was being, inter- he was being interviewed by some. New York newspaper and being very Jewish from the Bronx they said well mister whatever your name is 
what comes first, the words or the music? And he looked for a moment and he said, the telephone call. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so maybe the process is, and in that sense, uh, I agree with, with um, Benjamin Britten as well, who spoke about commissions and said that the very fact that, that there are people out there that want to perform stuff of yours is enough of an incentive for you to write. Right. Unless it's Pete Pompey from Cook and Harp, you know. <laughs> but even there, if you write well for Pete Pompey's, then... But, so how, but how do you work? Do you sketch things? Do you... Um... It, it, depends, it depends on what it is and how, how vast the, the work is. But yes, I, I do plan or I have an idea for a plan or an outline. Uh, I've worked on different works in different ways. But it comes down to, if I can explain it this way, I'm thinking of my orchestral piece about nothing, yeah. which is fairly minimalistic in terms of the use of the material, hence the title, about nothing. Uh, because there's just about nothing there, but of course it's, it's a tongue-in-cheek uh, title. Sounds sound like Trump deviating. <laughs> Well, just as an aside, what I what I can say about that piece, the because it is one of those that has been performed by various orchestras around yeah. around the country, I've had quite a few people speak to me about it, like how much they enjoy playing it. But one of the things that I hear from a lot of people, it's just like sort of like, what's it actually about? Like, there, there's got to be more there than it is. Keep guessing. Yeah, no, no, of course. Yeah. Well, I'll tell them it's about me or something. <laughs> but yeah. I had I think it was um, you should be so lucky <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> I only got uh, the threes uh, which I think uh, the, the dedication to Threes, which was the proto about nothing, if I'm not mistaken. It was the very first work that I wrote coming back from the, the America for the f- very first time. And I was usually inspired by the whole setup there. Mm. And the, particularly Chicago, because of its cultural stamp or imprint, or whatever you want to call it, that it had on me, right. made on me. And I've been back there several times while writing works, which has also inspired me, like... The Windy City Songs. Earth Diving. Earth Diving, yeah. Uh, and, yeah, Windy City Songs, of course, written in Michigan and in uh, Chicago, Illinois. And then the other one was the very strongly influenced my opera. Uh, uh, out of Time? Out of Time, yeah. yes. But so, I, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. you saying did. about about nothing, sort of how you uh, working uh, on the how, how Threes was a kind of precursor, right? And even that title is is double entendre, you know, double entendre. Uh, <laughs> the the whole thing with triplets and with thirds and tenths and whatever. Yes. Now to get back to about nothing, you want to talk about that? Well, you were saying uh, we were talking about process, and you said how. Oh uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. At that point, and primarily because of, there was such a limited material in a way that I was working with, I tried to get us get some sort of picture, and I eventually drew a graph with triangles and squares and 
what they were going to mind in terms of the type of material that I was using. Right. And so I could have a, a visual image of how it looked. I'm thinking, I think it was Brahms who used poetry to shape his symphonies, although the, the poems are not the important part of today anymore. Right. But it, it helped him. And I must say, my approach has been to, to use uh, pop songs with uh, chorus, verse, you know, verse, chorus. That, I, that type of idea I use a lot. I've, I've noticed that, I, mean, I, I suppose it's easier to sort of see with something like Horizons, which is very much, this is a song. Yeah. But I have noticed that and that's definitely something that I've I've well, adapted uh, essentially, but it comes to the same thing. Yeah. I mean, what is it? It's about contrast, contrasting material, however subtle, but it's still about contrast. Yes. Because you want to keep the the ear interested. Yeah. I remember also just thinking of like process and stuff, uh, and uh, Galena and I spoke about this, talking about how. Uh, there is you are definitely a, a coffee shop composer the coffee shop coffee shop i was going to say uh, <laughs> well i mean you do go to uh, to have your stuff printed all the times but i mean as yeah. in sitting at uh, sort of Beleza, not Beleza, la perla and and am i no what am i thinking of i'm thinking of plaisir plaisir used to be in burke street cape town yes uh, long gone now but it was a coffee shop that i visited for years it used to be on the corner of uh, Long Market and uh, Long Street. Yes, to the point where I remember when you had your your Flower Street studio. Yes. That you, when that coffee shop closed down, that you built, recreated. You, I, you bought one of the booths I, I or something. I got as a gift. Yeah. Oh, so the the, uh, the the booth. Right. Not, not the drinks. The booth. The booth. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, no relation to John Wilkes, but um, oh yeah, should probably put a pun warning on this episode. But the what? Should probably put a pun warning on this. Yeah, this is nothing. But we can get started if you want. <laughs> but yeah, no. But I remember you, you, you yeah, recreated I stuff. <laughs> Arrivals new stuff. I remember the rules of the Pistol Club. Drink all night and pistol door. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we met, we kind of spoken a little bit about it, but what would you say are sort of your biggest influences in in your music? Sort of be it composers or yeah. well, certainly as an an adult, and I say that with great care because I've never really grown up. <laughs> but uh, let's say in terms of years, the the composers that have have affected me mightily have been Benjamin Britten mm. and Stravinsky and to, to a lesser extent uh, Bartok and then of, of course the Slavic composers the Prokofievs and people like that mm. Khabalevsky, Khatsuturia right. So, I mean, what we've kind of spoken about uh, a little bit is well, I don't know if we, if we touched on it but your style has very much changed over the years like if I, I think of well yeah. There are some who don't. There are some composers yeah. who don't grow. Like, you, you could probably listen... I mean, admittedly, I don't know all his music, but you could listen to, say, Philip Glass at any particular period. And, and, and he's and, a glass region. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> I will not crack. Anyway, but the, oh! uh, so he, yeah, I mean, his stuff sounds pretty much the same from all the, from the periods that I know at any rate. Um, but it, it, it's hard to interrupt you. It is hard to make a comment like that. But yeah. on the other hand, it's not hard because you make it, not me. What is it like if a composer changes or not? Yeah, I mean, he would probably argue that he's refined his style. Probably yeah. he's gone from like C major to C major and C major, something like that. Yeah. Um, well, okay, maybe that maybe that's a, a, an unfair assessment. But just if I think of the stuff of his that I've heard, yeah, it's very clear to hear like this is this is yes. Philip Glass. But I think of sort of earlier works of you say of yours say something like the Selfish Giant versus uh, About Nothing or versus Windy City Songs. But I, I do, of course, understand that, say, something like Selfish Giant is written for a different kind of audience, I, I would think. Or maybe it's actually it's, not really. I mean, I'm, I'm, for, those, uh, for people who don't know, sort of referring to your children's works. Yes, uh, that's based on an Oscar Wilde story. Um, and musically, in fact, it is actually not... not it is something I'm very proud of because of the the way it's constructed. There are some things that I'm proud of, like for example, just jumping forward to Out of Time, our opera, which has the the whole movement of the uh, the music speeding up almost imperceptibly to get faster and faster towards the end, and then slow down to the the heartbeat. And that was something that I hit on by accident at the time, and then de- developed. But anyway, to get back to Selfish Giant, it is a children's work for, for adult children as well, you know. Yeah. Musically, it is it is a strong work, I think. It's very good, it's very strong. And uh, I, I have, harmonically... I, I have a moment, I don't think I've ever told you this, but I remember um, at, I was at a National Youth Orchestra thing, and uh, one morning uh, before uh, the course was showering and I had the Alleluia at the end of the piece stuck uh, in my head, yeah. literally bawling my eyes out while uh, shampooing my hair. Uh, yeah. It's just, it is so fucking powerful. I've got to get this man right out of my hair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it is such a powerful, powerful work. Thank you. Um, I mean, I, I I think also of the, and now we're sort of jumping around all over the place, but I think of that that uh, quote Mama always had of your music of Crash Boom Sniff. Like, yes, she said I should have had gone into cahoots with uh, Kleenex. <laughs> <laughs> but so how would, uh, uh, so what I was getting at is how your style has changed and developed over the years how would you describe your current style the way you're writing now the trick question <laughs> would you say that i mean i know there have been sort of big leaps like i think of again selfish giant as an example is very in a, in a different sound world to say the more minimalist kind of uh, about nothing and threes and trap dance I think was a piece that you, you mentioned yeah tell, tell me a bit about that I always liked the name trap dance I don't think there is such a thing but there's a trap drummer though I suppose right. but 
I like the idea of being stuck around one note or you know a bunch of notes to, to the point that it kind of drives you insane right. and yet it makes sense the, the recording I've got is with Yura Lee playing in the UNISA finals I think 2010 and she which she won I'd like to think it was my piece and did it well, push, uh, push them over the edge yes yeah. well if Trump can do it so can I <laughs> right. um, in fact I thought they were tremendous um, the pianist in this case was Tersha Fisadani who used some choice epithets to uh, describe the music because it looks it looks very similar simple but it's, it's held to, to keep together yeah because of the shifting pulses and yes you know so the, the suit you would say sort of still is in your like minimalist kind of uh, in, in many ways yeah. yeah while I've used minimalist uh, as, as, as a way to describe the music sometimes it's purely so that other people understand where I'm coming from yes but it's not it's not truly minimalist as as Peter Klasser said on my music it's maximalist yes you know crash boom sniff yes um, but I, I like the idea of paring down the material to as little, little as possible and it's still making sense you know yeah I suppose what we all do as composers not so much uh, is that we try to improve on ourselves the whole time of course yeah you, know, you don't want to you don't end up quoting yourself endlessly definitely I mean I from myself I know I definitely have different periods and it, it's yeah there, there are my slightly more Mahler meets Shostakovich yes. kind of early stuff to the the more kind of rock EDM bastard love child combined thing that I do these days um, well, unfortunately I won't be around in 50 years time to see how you progress well for you I'll make a point just to write crap so don't worry <laughs> <laughs> like you won't miss much yeah thank you uh, <laughs> just for you
So this, I, I kind of know some of this, but uh, I think for, for composers who are starting out or other, other composers, um, how do you make a living? Because I think there's this sort of thing of like, I'm, living? well, yeah, yeah that's, that is the question. It is that, that thing of, you know, some composers survive on commissions. I teach, you know, one, one does what one has to do. It's not... I don't, I don't think too many composers today make a living out of commissions per mm. se. I've looked at, looked at that thing square in the face as well and have discovered however much they pay you, they can never pay you enough. <laughs> and uh, there comes a point where you have to be realistic about how much people can pay, you know, yeah. for, for a commission. Then it assumes also that you are able to to write effectively and quickly and all those things to be able to make a living out of it. I mean, that's where you start doing things like library music, I suppose, or it, it's where you're churning out hours and hours of incidental stuff. Yeah, I must um, say, I've never, I've never looked down upon it. That is the, maybe because I regard myself and you guys as lucky as well in that you, you love so many different genres of music. Mm. You're not stuck to one art or whatever the case might be. Yeah. If you want to write rock music, you write rock music as well. Yeah. So I've ended up doing everything from jingles to incidental music to plays, particularly for, for Artscape and for the Shakespeare. Oh, Manorville, yeah. yeah. I mean, you've also uh, toured a hell of a lot with your cabaret stuff. Exactly. Um, oh, yeah, I've forgotten about the cabaret. Uh, yeah, the cabaret is a whole area unto itself. Yes. And I think there, was a, there came a point for me some time ago where I thought, you know, should I forever be apologetic for writing cabaret music or review music? And I thought, no. I mean, some of it's very clever, some of it's very funny. Yeah. And so, yeah, some of it's very witty. And today, I think the essential challenge with the, that sort of stuff is that um, people tend to box you in on a, if you're Victor Borger, then you're Victor Borger for life. Yeah. And I've, if anything that I've tried to do, I've tried to keep all these things going and still do and still write funny songs, depending on the occasion. Yeah. And uh, serious music as the, as the situation arises. I mean, after all, what did Bach write for? He wrote for his Weimar period, his Leipzig period, depending what instruments were available, whether it's strings or uh, concerto, concerto grossi, or uh, organ for, for the bigger churches. Yeah. And then he wrote according to the, the need of the, the community and uh, the people that, he was, that was, were around him. Yeah. I, I, I've, I've thought about that a lot. I think one needs to, I suppose, to surround yourself with to be in a place where, where there are people that can inspire you, you know, to write and particularly not, so, not even commission because if you are good enough, uh, I'm going to interrupt myself there and say, I always think about about CVs, mm. how the less known you are, the longer the CV, you know. Uh, if you Bill Gates, you write one line, or if at all, because everybody knows who Bill Gates is, you know. Yeah. What I mean? 
and um, I find having adjudicated this festival in Putson of Water may seem interesting at the time yeah but when you look back it's not the real thing that shapes you so but I mean like so speaking of all these various performances and such uh, do you have a particular sort of performance memory something that stands out be it of cabaret be it of a, a work of like uh, art performance or anything like that something that really stands out the first thing that comes to mind and in no particular order and there might not even be a second one uh, but <laughs> was when I wrote my youth requiem which is also for youth children's choir and orchestra and uh, solo tenor and that was performed in 1987 at the Artscape Theatre and that was the year afterwards after the, uh, the Selfish Giant and I think what made it particularly memorable for me was being I was music director for uh, during a performance of Ghetto in which I was the music director and I was with, with the Viva Pella on stage and Dennis and because I was on stage on the theatre side of the Artscape as a performer playing accordion as well as singing and right. uh, all the famous Yiddish songs they then had to plan it in such a way that the interval for the for ghetto coincided with the performance of uh, Youth Record yeah. and particularly because I was right I wrote I wrote uh, Youth Requiem during the production run of Ghetto, so all the research that we did into that really, really moved me. And where the the choir sings, uh, crying piece of bread, piece of bread, and thinking of that famous biblical quotation, who would give his child stones to eat, uh, you know. Yeah. And that emotionally, at any rate, was very powerful for me. Yeah. I mean, I got to the end of the DS era, which in any case is very powerful, especially with a large choir. Uh, I think I, I lost it. Sort of for, for uh, those who don't know, I had to, yeah. that sort of sound of it's quite a, a few hundred kids yeah. yelling DS. I mean, I can't even, I cannot see, like, I'm not joking about bawling my eyes out in the yeah. shower. I can't even describe it without choking up a little. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Cheap trick, but hey, no, it works. Man, yeah. it, it is so fucking effective. I might, I might even just like edit just a small clip of it in just to, to yeah, give it a little more context.
I ended up taking my curtain call in my Jewish garb with the yellow star of David, uh, which must have confused the audience a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> like, we knew this guy was weird, but how weird exactly is he? Um, he says, doing his favorite uh, Trevor Noah impression. <laughs> um, so, I know this is difficult because the, this is a question that I've been meaning to ask for years. Who's your favorite son? No, I'm kidding. Um, what is your favorite piece that you've ever written? First of all, I think <laughs> you need to have some DNA testing. <laughs> Touche. And then we'll talk about who's my son. <laughs> no, but do you, do you have uh, something that you would consider to be like a favorite piece or something where you're like, fuck, that's where I got it right? That is a difficult question to answer. I always, it's like this desert island uh, discs. Yes. Metamorphosen. No, one that you wrote. One that I wrote. <laughs> yes. oh, you mean I didn't write that one? <laughs> I'm leaving that in, by the way. No, but why no, are they No wonder the world is detained in some Strauss character. Dear Mr. Strauss Association, I yeah. this immediate cease and desist for... I was, I was actually in Garmisch the other day, about three weeks ago. Garmisch is where Strauss had his house. I see. Strauss right. had his house? Yeah. <laughs> so let me rephrase that. Do you have a favorite piece of yours that you've written where you, you've thought like this is... Or a couple of pieces or something that, that comes to mind of like this, this is me... I would say the junk man from uh, Windy City, City Songs. It's just a beautiful, beautiful text, and I think quite hot music too. I mean, if I may say, tomorrow would have been the seventeenth anniversary of Mama's uh, burial service, yeah. and that is the first time that this piece was performed with Brad Liebel and it's Bernard, Bernard Good and yeah, strings. Which you guys also played. Yes. Yeah. And uh, Bernard Guder conducted. So it turned out to be more of a music special, but anyway. But it was very appropriate at the time. And when it came to orchestrating the whole the whole work, I left that version for strings only. Which I'm glad, because it works well. In in the context, look, the, the Windy City songs is a fantastic work as, as well. Thank you. Um, that's a big orchestra. But in the context of the whole piece, yeah. that that movement is very very special. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously for personal reasons as well. But I think just you see what I mean. It, it, it has personal personal reasons attached to it. On the other hand, I think it's a good work musically. It's beautiful. Yeah. I like my string quartets, which I heard now recently in, in Germany. Yeah. In Yembezi, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a famous saying that my last work is my favorite work. No. But I'm not sure about that because I haven't finished my last work. <laughs> yeah. And how do you know it's your last work? <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds sort of like. This is from God. <laughs> you move it along a bit. <laughs> last work coming up. Sort of like hinting like double bar line there would be, yeah. I don't want to rush you but a yeah. good good place to put especially it especially with Parkinson's <laughs> could you stop wobbling a little bit and <laughs> add the thermometer <laughs>
and gave death their job, taking care, taking care of all. Apollo, what are
So you've kind of you've mentioned earlier talking about how you learnt one thing from various composers. Um, would what suggestion? What is the best advice that you could give? And I know this is be it uh, theoretical or practical, but for an up and coming composer, what is the best suggestion that you could give? Watching the whole debates in, in America at the moment on CNN, particularly fake news, um, so to speak, but nonetheless, I watch it because I like, uh, you see, my, my name backwards is done fake. It's, it's very similar. Anyway, so let me start that again. Having watched uh, a lot of the debates and stuff going on around Trump and co. The one thing that struck me uh, again about the elections, the midterm elections which has just been, was the fact that the aspect that most touched people about the candidates was passion. Mm-hmm. And if you can speak in an impassioned way, I mean, there's the learned way, a la Hitler. Which is studied. But on the other hand, genuine passion and stuff like this is not to me, is not to be laughed at. Yeah. And I think with writing and with creating as well, that doesn't mean you have to have blood dripping off every bar or every drawing or every poem that you write. But it's got to be done with integrity and passion. I would say that would be for me the thing that I look for the most. And the understanding of, of natural form, golden section, golden mean, you know, yeah. stuff like that. I, I remember thinking of, of blood on, on the page. There was a point where I think it was when I was writing that that piece rage rage against the uh, yes. signum contacted recently much, yeah. thank you um where i around this time was having like heart palpitation is my arm sore is this it kind of just yes. from stress and of, of what was going on at the time and i remember just going to a doctor checkup just to see like i think i'm fine but i just yeah. want to make sure and my doctor suggesting to me sort of like you know um you don't always really have to give like your best your hand like try and relax a little bit like it doesn't have to give it your all and me sort of wanting to turn around it's like that's not how it works like yeah, i can't say it's a lovely piece of advice it's like i can't just sort of like give if a half like sausages or something like this but <laughs> yeah, if you're turning out a symphony or whatever like this it's a different ball game altogether yes i mean sometimes uh, more and more i get to the point that i realize that what somebody says some wise person said that when you when you die you want to be used up yes you know rather than coming in lame because you're still gonna die anyway whichever way you do it right Sorry, I hadn't told you that. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> so that is the, the gauntlet of questions. So I, I have one last little question at the end. So what I did beforehand 
is I asked some people who might not necessarily be in the music scene or people yeah. who are, who'd be interested, if they could ask one question to any composer, any hypothetical yeah. composer, and I picked some of my favorites, so I, uh, my intention is at the end to ask one of these questions to so a composer. So ask the question? <laughs> so the, the, the question is, what do you do in your downtime? I'm not very often down. <laughs> I write poetry. I write, I read, read and write. You used to do a lot of drawing? You still do as yeah, well? Yeah, I still do that. Um, not, not, not as many because it goes through phases, depends on my mood. Uh, not in terms of inspiration being mood driven, but uh, if I don't have other things to do, I'll tell you what I do. I procrastinate brilliantly. I, I I draw and I write uh, poetry so that I can get out of writing my commissions, <laughs> you know, or seemingly, <laughs> seemingly so. So if uh, people wanted to follow you, I know, so I'll definitely be playing... It's okay, I'm slow. <laughs> <laughs> um, if they wanted to see more up-and-coming things, I assume they'd find you on Facebook... Yes. Um, you have uh, there's a, a lovely SoundCloud page which has most of if not all the works that we've spoken about obviously I'll include excerpts and like full what I can on this yeah. but uh, if you'd like to hear more there's a, a Peter Louis van Dijk SoundCloud page um, if people want to send me questions for upcoming composers or if you have suggestions of composers that you'd like to speak to that you'd like me to speak to um, as I said, I have a list of about 130, but hey, there might be one or two that have slipped through the cracks. Um, you can reach me either on Facebook with Matthias van Dijk, or you can find me on Twitter at BatComposer. Um, thank you very much for sitting with me in, in your lounge here at the Garden Center Towers, where you can hear all the traffic and all the wind outside. But uh, I thank you very much, and I will be seeing you shortly as soon as I switch thank off the recording. That's M-A-T-D-H-I-J-S. Thank you. V-A-N-D-I-J-K. And that, that is your fault. Uh. <laughs> Suddenly he rubbed his eyes and looked and looked. For in the farthest corner of the garden was a tree quite covered with lovely white blossoms, and underneath it stood the little boy he had loved. In a burst of great joy, the giant ran downstairs, out into the garden, and across the grass.
It was only a little bird singing in the tree above them, but it seemed to them to be the most beautiful music in all the world. 